Okay, top of page 11. I was hoping by the end of this quarter to be through Matthew, but it doesn't look like we made it. <laughs> How can you slow down, I mean, speed up in the Gospels? I know. <laughs> Let's do Matthew 24, 45 to 51. I think we really are right at the top. Yeah. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master's delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks, with the drunken, the master of that servant will come on that day that he does not expect, and at an hour he does not know, and will punish him, and put him with hypocrites. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. So the question is, what is the way to be lost here? To not be ready. Is it just that simple? Mm. To not be ready. What does it mean to be ready in this context? be prepared for the coming of the Master, and then also, um, so then to not be ready would be to, to not even think about the Master coming, because we have time. Look, look at verse uh, 45. He puts them in charge of giving food at the right time to those who live in his house. Who, who's he talking about? Who gives food? Who does he put in charge to give food to those who live in his house? Mm, servants, his servants. Yeah, let's, let's, let's transfer that to modern okay. comprehension. Disciples? His own disciples? Possibly. Who has Jesus put in charge of giving food in his house? What's his house? First of all, let's establish kingdom. His kingdom. It could be translated that way. Uh, his the house of God is in, in the Hebrew Bible is the temple, and in Jesus' context, that's that's still their their oh. perception is the temple. Pastors, uh, teachers. Uh, so so it's those in charge of worship, in charge of of teaching, in charge of giving food giving the word okay. to those in his house. So happy are those servants whom the master finds fulfilling their responsibilities, that they're doing that. They're giving okay. the word, they're giving the food that God has given them to give to his house. But suppose those bad servants should say to themselves, my master won't come until later, which I'm afraid the church has been guilty of doing in the yes. last... 50 years. Mm -hmm. And suppose they began to beat their fellow servants mm -hmm. and to eat and drink with the drunks. What does that portray? Mm -hmm. what, is, what does that suggest? They start abusing, uh, abusing. the church instead of feeding uh -huh. the church. When you feed someone, that is about the opposite end of abuse, isn't it? You're being their servant, mm -hmm. you're giving hospitality, you're, you're giving them what they need. 
when you start beating someone, that's the other extreme. <laughs> yes. uh, imagine inviting guests to come over. Kind of a sideline, but Gina, when I went to Berkeley, I opened a, um, a, a little health deli. The, the, in the part, oh, were you the one that was responsible for that? Yes. <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, I I just come out of grad school. And, and had, you know, I've been teaching and, and yeah. a chaplain. But it was the coolest thing to be in that servant role. And I'm cooking and running the restaurant. So I'm serving the people. And these are my, now, when did a lot of my Greenpeace people and my people that eat in a vegetarian restaurant that would come. That it, 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 was, it totally confused them. They'd say, well, what do you do here? Well, I'm... I'm the chaplain of that. I mean, these are non most of them non believers, very secular right, right, Berkeley right, people. Right, right, right. But it was just, uh, it, it was the coolest thing to break down prejudice to be in that servant. You know, can I help you? You know, if you enjoy the food. You know, you're doing that, that kind of role as you would as a server, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when did you, what year did you open it? <laughs> when did we go up to? That was. Uh, uh, 86. 86. Okay, that was after the first restaurant they had yeah, at yeah. Berkeley. The uh -huh. first one. The first one. I used the same sign and all that stuff. That was uh, Pat, Patzer. Patzer, yes. Um, I was a student here at PUC. Very oh, nice. When Patzer was there. And we uh, used to go down and to that restaurant and we would serve the people. Oh, uh, no. And I came oh. out with one of the neatest stories out of that. I actually published an Inside Magazine mm -hmm. because uh, it was. We had these uh, two, I, I think they must have been, um, what was the cult that um, would would quote, say sayings all... Hare Krishna? Hare Krishna. They were two Hare Krishna girls. Oh, and they were quoting Jesus, but nothing that Jesus ever said. Oh. You know. <laughs> okay. It was like Anne Rand trans. And, and uh, they came in just so hungry. They'd been on a three-day fast, and they were just so hungry. They were faint. And, and, and so they were barely holding up their heads. And, and um, somebody brought them food. And uh, I, they were saying monotone. Jesus says da-da-da-da-da. Jesus says, da 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 and finally says, I said, you know, it's interesting that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, because they were biting into their whole wheat bread with peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and uh, they just looked at me uncomprehendingly, you know, it was just like, what? <laughs> so I was like, uh, about that time, somebody else came up who seemed to know how to communicate with them better than I, so I just retreated to the back of the kitchen to help there, <laughs> feeling a little bit like a failure. But uh, they kept coming. Oh, that's awesome. And one Sabbath afternoon, I discovered them talking with a bunch of PUC students about the Bible, about Jesus. They had both been raised Christians mm. and had left. Mm. Wow. And, and one, one had been raised a Lutheran, I remember that distinctly. And they were wishing for a Bible. Really? And one of them said, you know, I, I still remember the Bible I got at confirmation. It was white. And I said, let me see what I can do to get you one. And I walked over. There was a row of Bibles sitting there. And I picked one up, and I went over to the receptionist who worked at the, who was part of the church. And I said, can I give one of these 
a Bible to one of, to these girls. Well, we don't get, just give Bibles out. What? <laughs> you have to pay for it. Oh, <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I said... I was like, I said, well, I don't have my checkbook with me, or I'd, I'd write you a check right now. Nope, can't do it. So I went over to another PUC student, and I said, I can't believe. Here we are trying to win these people to Jesus, and we can't spare a Bible. Let's spare a Bible. <laughs> no. And he said, well, why don't you ask her if you could write a note to the pastor stating that you will pay him by mail or next week and and see if she'll agree to that. So I went back, and she agreed to it, which I was quite amazed she did. Maybe by that time the Holy Spirit was able to work there on her. There you go. <laughs> Again, to hear how she sounded. Ooh. Anyway, uh, I wrote my note. And I went and got the only white Bible stamp. Oh, nice. And I placed it on the table, and I said, just call it a gift from heaven. And I remember I walked away because I didn't want them to be all over me. I wanted them to think of it as coming from God. And when I looked back, I remember tears coming to my eyes as one of the girls picked up the Bible. She was hugging oh, it close. Oh, that's and awesome. she was just praising the Lord. Yeah. It was oh, just that's wonderful. that's marvelous. Mm. That feeding bread, you know, mm. and, and I, the story that I wrote on that was hungry for bread uh, because I just, you know, we feed people literally mm-hmm. uh, as an avenue to feeding them what is most important spiritually. Uh, so these people who are abusing are the leaders of the church. And if they use the delay to abuse people, Hmm. And to drink with the drunks. What is that? Oh. I don't think it means partying. No. Mm-hmm. Would, would drinking um, or becoming drunk, would that be ritually unclean in that society? No. No. No, drinking, they're supposed to be feeding the people, giving them the wine. Mm-hmm. They're drinking it themselves. And they're drinking it themselves until they're drunk. So they're pigging out. On the own, their own food, and not giving it to the hmm. people. I see. I think what Jesus is portraying here is the test of whether His love has done anything in our hearts. If if the only way we can have fervor is to be constantly on edge that Jesus is coming soon, and we better be ready. If that's the only thing, it's not going to last. And and we're going to end up beating up our fellow believers. <laughs> oh, much like what has happened sometimes. And you, you think about this in terms of the disciples. The disciples weren't caught in some kind of, oh, Jesus is coming soon, we've got to be ready. No. It was, yay, Jesus is coming back. They missed him. They had been with him for three and a half years. Uh, they were excited about him. And his coming back was part of that excitement. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, Adventists have divorced the second coming from Jesus. If, if that's possible, I think how, we have. How do, you, how do you separate the two? We have divorced Jesus 
from being the focus. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about this as I think about what's happening in our world today. I don't think there's an Adventist in the land that in, in America that isn't quite convinced that Jesus is coming back sooner than they were prepared to think. I mean, I can remember about 10 years ago different Adventists saying, you know, I think we need to reinterpret. I don't think we should hold any, give any light to uh, what Ellen White says in the Great Controversy about last day events, and, and it really isn't going to be that way, and, and you know, things, things, the world scene is just so mellow, and everybody's so, you know, into tolerance and, and everything, that it just can't possibly <laughs> be that way, and, and now we have the Pope's encyclical uh, advocating everybody keep Sunday, uh, and uh, and in in interest of the environment. Well, you're probably well, I remember as well as the Renaissance for one of our West Coast professors, and I was, and I you know I know him. I don't know him personally, but he he had taken a whole dispensation position, say, well, all that. That's the way it was supposed to be back from when Ellen White wrote this, but things didn't work out that way, so now we're in a whole different, you know, it's interesting the way we see the world turning right now and say, this oh. could happen. <laughs> this is looking more, more yes. and more up to date. <laughs> yeah. and, and the problem is, I think that there's really a growing and mounting fear among our among Adventists, because what have we been what have we been focused on? Not Jesus. Not Jesus, and that's the problem. How can we be ready if we're not focused on Jesus? So, I I, I see this as a call, uh, mm-hmm. because the only way I can be may, remain a faithful servant and and disseminate the food, the bread of life, is if I'm eating it, and it's changing me so that I can give it to other people in a way that they can feed too and be transformed. And and not beat them up. Hopefully my students won't feel that way at the end of finals. (laughs) At the end of finals, there you go. I think, like the other week, you were talking about where to be in that deep, love relationship with God and His Spirit, you know, to be able to love your enemy, to be able to, to not get caught up in this, what we see and being caught up, we see the violence of that, to segregate people and, and see like what the politicians are doing, and, you know, and that, and he was thinking how that would can fit into our whole eschatology, because that can turn against us as easily as it, you know, we're seeing it turn against ethnic groups and different things, because they're evil and we're good, you know. Well, this is, this is my fear for, for Adventists, is that if we don't grasp the love your enemies concept, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. going to be wanting to fight back yes. against intolerance to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and we could turn into being just as violent as anybody else. And be justified because the Bible is full of God commanding us to kill like in, in the Old Testament. We have our jihad passages, do we not? Yes, we do. 
And, and it's important, and, and one, this is very close to home because I, I consider this one of my job descriptions, mm-hmm. is to find a hermeneutic of the Bible that absolutely denies us the privilege of behaving like the Israelites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would love that. Um, and for me, it is, it is to recognize uh, the principle Jesus used in Matthew 19, where he talks about divorce, and he says, Moses allowed you to divorce for the stiffness of your necks and the hardness of your hearts, but in the beginning it was not so. And so I go to anything, any problem in the Old Testament, and the conquest is one of those problems, I go to the beginning of the narrative sequence. And I say, where do, what does God say at the beginning? Well, if you go to Exodus 23, uh, 23 to 33, which is the first in the narrative sequence in the conquest, God says, clearly I'm going to drive out the Canaanites from before you. Uh, it says nothing about fighting. Which led Ellen White to say that God never commanded them to go up and fight. Mm. That wasn't his will. That wasn't his plan. But what happens is, on the shores of the Red Sea, they had picked up all these wonderful weapons mm. after they crossed over. Oh, yes. And, uh, and more than that, it's possible uh, that uh, they had made some weapons, too, along, too, along the way. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if the community of avarice is Goshen, <laughs> yes. it's very possible that they had their own weapons, handed down by Joseph. He must have had some kind of weaponry. So, so there they are. They only hear, go up and fight, yeah. go up and fight. And so after, at Kadesh Barnea, the reason they fall flat on their face and lose trust is because that's what they're thinking. They have to fight, not relying on the one who can drive out the Canaanites from before. That's so much more true to who I think God is. It's just something in, in, in move away from his presence. Like I was hearing something this last week that you have all these young recruits for ISIS, and they're showing up. And they don't care what side they're on. They just want to fight. <laughs> you know, it's just something in that as we as, as we deteriorate away from God, you know, there's part of that sinful mm-hmm. human nature that wants to be destructive and well, you know, let's, it's depressing to do this, but if you think about how we've been honing violence in America, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it is our entertainment, it, mm. is, uh, it is our competition, it is, um, mm-hmm. it is everything that we think is a good time. And, and we make games out of it and videos out of it. And we don't understand why, why the young young people act, you know. And, and, I, and then I stand up in ethics class and say nonviolence, and they go, no, no, no. <laughs> Justice. <huh? sighs> All right, let's move to something a little different. Matthew 25. Mm. And this is, this is now the positive end. Mm. <laughs> there's still negative stuff, but, but there's the positive end here. Um, Carrie, would you read uh, verses 1 to 10? 
Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be not be enough for us and for you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Okay, I don't know your name. <clears throat> Alice. Alice. Would you please read verses 11 to 13? Sorry, that's a very short piece. Mm, okay. Later the other aversions also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. I have to point out something in this I didn't think about before. I think probably because my version uh, translates versions as bridesmaids. And that's what they were. They, they functioned as that. Um, but the text can be used to translate as virgins. And virgins has a connotation in, in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, doesn't mm-hmm. it? What is, it? What, what is the connotation of virgin? Purity. Purity. Purity as in what? This is not sex now we're talking about. This is in no. terms of the church. No deceit or guile found in their mouth. And no deceit or guile found in their mouths. They're honest, are they? Mm-hmm. Sincere? Sincere. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're... Uh, they're uncontaminated by false doctrine, false teaching. Oh, and not following like the beast or like not following like right. images. Right, right, right. Mm. Tying in Revelation. Yeah, sorry. I where, where this, no, yeah, but that, that, where else do you go to, to find <laughs> yeah. the virgin concept? Mm-hmm. Now, if that's the case, what is it here that makes the difference? If I mean, aren't we pretty much, haven't we pretty much established as Adventists that having the 28 fundamental beliefs kind of guarantees if we believe those we're, we're in. What does this suggest? It's also about having a relationship with mm-hmm. and like knowing Jesus personally. It's not just about... The yeah, there, there's a clue to that, isn't there? When it mm-hmm. says... Um, when they say they want to take the oil from those who have it. Mm-hmm. Um, they said, no, because if we share with you, there won't be enough for our lamps and yours. Mm-hmm. We have a better idea. You go to those who sell oil and buy it for yourselves. You have to have it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't take it from us. Mm-hmm. But what is this oil? Christ in us, the hope of glory, I think. Mm-hmm. Jesus within us. Or we've been told. How, how, how is Jesus in us? The Holy how does, Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's how we've usually ter- uh-huh. uh, interpreted the oil. Uh, but we don't t- teach about the Holy Spirit in the Adventist Church. We're kind of afraid of him. Um, people who get into the Spirit can do crazy, wild things, and we don't believe in doing crazy, wild things. And we're, yeah. we're very rational mm-hmm. uh, in our understanding and our teaching. Um, so we, we kind of ignore the Holy Spirit. Well, what is the Holy Spirit's function? 
Easy comforter. Okay, that's uh, that's actually a poor translation of oh, the Greek. Really? He's uh, he's uh, one called alongside of us, and that can be very comforting. Yes. So that's one aspect. But one called alongside of us. So he personally interacts with us, Your Honor. You're the temple. To instruct us. Mm-hmm. Instruct us. He's the spirit mm-hmm. of truth. Mm-hmm. He'll guide us into truth. Uh, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You can have all the right teachings, all the right truth. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. what happens? You only have dry breadcrumbs mm. instead of fresh bread. Mm. In fact, dry moldy breadcrumbs. <laughs> I thought, I thought <laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> well, this is what happens. You know, I, I, I've used this metaphor before. You have a loaf of bread. You've got to protect it. People are trying to distort it. <laughs> They're trying to destroy it. Got to protect it. Put it in the in a bread pan. Save it. Don't eat it. Save it. Don't eat it. Put the lid down. Put the lid down and and hide it away. And now, months and years later, oh, we need that bread. Pull it out. What's happened? It's so bad. I thought there was a Bible quote that was saying how like if you don't have love, then nothing really matters. Whatever you do. Yeah. Is first First Corinthians love? thirteen. I think so because Is the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Is love. Love, mm-hmm. joy, Great. peace. And, and fruit is singular. Mm-hmm. But you have all these fruits? Well, how does that work? Mm-hmm. The fruit is love. Yeah. And out of love comes joy, oh, peace, peace, patience, oh, kindness. That's just awesome. That, that makes sense now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the Spirit, you also have love. So if you have the Spirit, you have mm-hmm. the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. Yeah. So how do we take enough of the Spirit so that we don't run out. I think if the bridegroom tarries, when we come within ourselves too, just like we ask God to help us to able to have more, like the kindness and love that He gives us. You know, the greatest way for that to happen is to have bad things happen to you, to have people hurt you, to have <laughs> to have all kinds of trials befall you. It's, it's like the cartoon that, some, yeah. that a student at Andrews University created when I was there as a student many years ago. Um, it was a, showed a bird sitting on a bench. God, I need a lesson in forgiveness. The next thing the bird knows is that he's hopping up and down on the branch trying to avoid bullets because a bunch of hunters are (laughs) shooting at him. (laughs) And finally, he gasps out. What was it, the climax of that? Oh, no, finally it's over, and he's still alive, and his head is down. And he says, me and my big mouth. (laughs) Me and my big mouth. Yeah, that's pretty good. Me and my big mouth. That's a good one. (laughs) Sometimes we don't realize our blessings until bad things happen. Is that what? Yeah, that's probably. Well, it's it's in the practice of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. It's in the practice of of meeting someone who's unkind and unloving Mm -hmm. and and learning to forgive them and love them back Mm -hmm. in exchange for what they do to to us. That we Mm -hmm. really become... It becomes internal. The love of God becomes internal. Because we can't do it any other way. 
unless the love of God becomes internal, unless we really embrace personally his love in our lives, we can't do that. Um, that's that oil. See, oil in the ancient Near East was known to be one of the most healing agencies that you could have. It was medicine. It was also royalty. It's what you anointed kings with. But you think of, of um, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, the Good Samaritan uses oil to bind up the victim's wounds. Mm. So oil is a healing property. And uh, it, it has to do with the Spirit's ability to heal us inside out from all our woundedness. Um, let's take a moment to think about Islam, since this is all on our minds. We might as well relate what we're doing to that. If you read the Quran, I think about every ten lines. You think uh, in, in, the, in the Quran about every ten lines, it seems, there's a, there's a condemnation and a threat of hellfire if you don't do what Allah says. I, I, would, I would love to go through the Quran and do a racial proportion. I guess somebody has already done that. And, and it's, it's very, very frequent. It's almost like a refrain beating into you. Now you think of growing up, uh, hearing someone read the Quran daily, and they do it in a chant-like, driving, hard-driving tone of voice that shapes who you are. It becomes a controlling factor in your life. That's abuse, and yet nobody in Islam recognizes that as abuse. And so what we're dealing with is a whole, a whole society of people who have been abused, and, and many of them have broken out of that and said, no, this is not what the Quran is really teaching. This is not who Allah really is. But then there's this other group that seems so powerful that are acting out of their woundedness. They don't even recognize they're wounded. But they're acting out of this conditioning process of viewing Allah as harsh and arbitrary and ready to slaughter anyone who disagrees. Do you think Allah and our God is the same God or is it different? I believe the Allah that ISIS has is very different <laughs> from our God. It's interesting. Uh, did you know Dr. Staples? Which Dr. Staples? I, I've known several times. He was teaching at the seminary when I was there. and he, I knew was, of him. This was kind of his area. He went through, you know, I didn't know anything about the Quran or that, mm -hmm. but he described that you could teach every teaching out of Scripture, out of the Quran. But there was that point where he got mad at the Jews. You know, Muhammad mm -hmm, got mad mm -hmm. at the Jews, changed his day of worship, changed his whole focus from the spiritual focus to this 
militant, you know, more folks. Right. That happens at, at uh, was it Medina? Yeah, I don't think, yeah, Medina. But so you, uh, but Gene and I have said it before, but I've always felt when in working with people like I, you know, work with, uh, you don't have the intimacy and the tenderness and the love. You don't have that stuff we call the oil and the spirit. <clears throat> that gets in. You always substitute structure and control. So when he moved away from that, then it just gets worse. You have years and years to develop that, and what that does to the I like what you're saying. What it does to the mind, and I spent a couple months in Bali, you know, with my family, and it's all Hindu. The Hindus are much more calm, and peaceful, sort of on the surface. On the surface, but they can oh. they can turn to violence. Yeah, the scary thing for us is that they're their own police, and they just kill you if you know, the kids you think you've stole something. They have their own, and you see them sitting on the corners while we think everything is so nice and everything in that culture, but it isn't always. Suppressed. But then we'd always wake up to the prayer towers, and we have all this structure. It's just the structure and control that comes out of, you know, most of current Islam, that you're conditioned to that and not conditioned to the love and tenderness, you know. Uh, it affects your brain when you have too much structure and control. It does. And, and I think this is going back to what we read in Matthew 24. This is what Jesus is against. Beating up the servants is a form, is, is, is really done in the church by trying, trying to control people. Well, that happened to Judaism, too. By, by my trying to control you. What gives me the right to control you any more than you have the right to control me? Yeah. Uh, no one has that right. I control myself. I don't control you. That's the law of love. Um, and uh, yeah, and I know, and, and just last Sabbath, I talked about the newest attempt on the church to control theology, which is called the International Board of Theological Education, Ministerial and Theological Education. Um, I know the argument is used, well, how, where do you draw the line? We've got to have a line somewhere where people can't cross or they aren't Adventists anymore. And we don't have in the church structure a way to deal with heretics. Uh, the way this church is structured is from the grassroots well, up good. instead of the top down. <laughs> and, and I say, why don't you listen to Jesus' parable of the wheat and the tares? Let them grow until the harvest. Let yeah. God take care of his yeah, church. If, if we really have the truth, the truth tends to rise to the top and carry the day yeah. and, and let the, the dissenters and the, and the drunkards and whatever, are, <laughs> let them be behind us, not, uh, not trying to control and manipulate. Once we try to do that, uh, we show that we don't really have the truth. Good point. Our time is up. We have two minutes left. Uh, they both fell asleep. Yeah, they both fell asleep. And some had additional oil. I, I, I wish we had time to talk about that. Well, let's let's do a few minutes. Um, what does it mean to to fall asleep when the bridegroom has tarried? Jesus hasn't come yet. You're living the life of the world like you're just just going about your daily activities, and you don't really think about like. Yeah, your your brain is shut down. You're not engaged. Mm -hmm. It's 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 like sleeping through class. I'm sorry, I shouldn't use that <laughs> illustration. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I can tell when students are engaged and when they're not, or hiding behind your computer. 
in class uh, <laughs> and you're not taking notes. <laughs> uh, that, it's not being engaged. It's not having that vibrant living relationship with Jesus on a daily basis. That's sleeping. So they're all asleep, and I think we have all been in that state in, in recent years. And then the call goes out, hey, he's coming, he's coming. And it's a yay call, not a, oh, he's coming. <laughs> uh, which is, is how, we tend, how we tend to see the second coming is very much shaped by how we see Jesus and how we see the Father. So the call goes out, he's coming, and everybody scrambles to their feet because everybody, oh, we've got to get ready. And who has the oil? What does that mean? To keep, have enough oil so you can sleep a little while. And then when it's time to wake up, you still have that oil. Those people that have prepared themselves? Yeah, at least they, they had a deep enough uh, relationship with the Spirit and with Jesus that they... They've fallen, perhaps they've fallen asleep just from sheer exhaustion of yeah. being, you know, if you, if you put these two parables together, they've been beaten up, <laughs> as it were, by the church in a sense of a feeling of frustration, of a feeling like there's no oil in the church coming through. Uh, but they have gleaned the oil that they could get. They have studied the Bible for themselves. They have their oil in their hearts and their lives. But they have fallen asleep because the delay has just, the whole thing has worn them out. And then when they wake up, they can reconnect. They can re-engage. Whereas the others, they're gone. And their whole modality, yeah, they don't have the oil, so they don't have the truth and the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness, the gentleness and the self-control. They're into controlling other people. So they give us your oil. That's what you're supposed to do. And no, we can't. That's only the moral purpose. Yeah. You see, I, I, maybe, maybe where we need to end this lesson is in a crucial principle. There's two ways of doing Adventism and religion and Christianity. And one way is the form. You have the teachings. You can prove it from the Bible. Uh, you have the, the do's and don'ts. You, you do all the right things and you shun all the right things or the wrong things. And you have the structure and you have the controls. That's one way of doing it. But there's no oil in that way. And the other way is you don't try to control anybody. You don't, you, you deal with the teachings of the church in a way that is transforming. You revitalize them in a way that is both biblical and transforming. And you, what you do and don't do, it comes out of your love for Jesus and out of your relationship for Jesus. I remember how I kept the Sabbath in the first way. I was raised the first way. And how I kept the Sabbath of the first way was to worry all day long that I would do something to break it. <laughs> and then I was converted. And I had oil 
and I was, I was a new Christian, but I was growing, and I was probably about four or five years old, and a group of us here at PUC went out to the back 40 near Helmer's property, and there was a huge oak tree, and some of us climbed the oak tree, and some of us swung from the branches, and so then we sat down and sang hymns, and we were having just an exuberant Sabbath, and I went to class, to Bible class the next week, and the teacher was reminding us of the old way, the structure, and he mentioned something about climbing trees on Sabbath being taboo, and I went, <laughs> <laughs> I climbed a tree on Sabbath. <laughs> And I thought, you know what? That wasn't breaking the Sabbath. I was totally in the spirit of the Sabbath. I was totally worshiping God. That was not breaking Sabbath at all. And I remember the liberating feeling that suddenly, you see, the structured way makes us protective, defensive, um, controlling, and shunning. We exclude ourselves from other people. We have an us and them mentality. The spirit way, the, the way of the oil, makes us open up, outgoing, diffused, willing to share, willing to mingle, willing to uh, uphold another, even if they disagree with us. Uh, it's a totally different kind of... Dean is interesting in his final test, in you know, your explanation of... Because they all did the same kind of behavior. Well, we did this, we did this... But I, he said, I did not know you. It was not intimate with that. Yeah. And that word no, that word no is not gnosko in the Greek, I believe. It's, it's oida, which, uh, which is that intimate knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's experiential. Mm-hmm. It's not That's cool. just intellectual. I know your name and the numbers of hair on your head. <laughs> not that one. I know your last thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pray. Beautiful. Father, we pray for the oil. And not just for the oil, but we pray to have Jesus mm-hmm. in our thoughts, in our focus, in our experience. To sense through the Holy Spirit his love pervading our hearts, to wrap himself around us. Because that is our only psychological and spiritual protection from the world of violence. May that be our experience today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.